We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Second Chronicles 29, we pick it up in verse 12. It says, Then these Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, of the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehaliel, of the Gershonites, Joath, the son of Zima, and Eden, the son of Joah, of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jael, the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah. Of the sons of Haman, Jehiel, and Shemiah, and of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel. And you're wondering, why are we studying these names? <laughs> you know, it says there in verse 12 that the Levites arose. And you might want to circle that word arose in your Bible, because there's a lot of people sitting down that need to rise up. You know, when you look at this chapter, and as a matter of fact, I think it would be good to fast forward. If you would, go over to chapter 29 in verse 35. And I want to give you like a heads up regarding what's going to happen at the end of this chapter. Because it says there in Second Chronicles 29, 35, So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. You see, this is the heart of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, with urgency. Immediately, we see when he reigns there in Judah, he opens the doors of the temples, doors that his father sadly had shut. But Hezekiah is different than his human father. He loves his heavenly father. And what he does is he sets things in motion so that they might restore the temple to set things in order that they might once again worship the Lord. You see, and it's a beautiful goal that he has, and we're going to see that he will succeed as we travel through this chapter. Now, when I, when I read that passage in Second Chronicles twenty nine thirty five, I couldn't help but think of the scripture over in First Corinthians chapter fourteen verse forty, where the Bible says, "Let all things be done decently and in order." You see, what we find is that it's not just an Old Testament lesson we're going to be looking at today in the days of Hezekiah when they had that temple back then that needed to be cleansed and, you know, just cleansed out physically. No, we're going to see you guys today that it's actually a lesson, especially for us here. No offense. In California, a lot of us are carnal, like the Corinthians, where in many hearts and many lives and many churches, things need to be restored to be done decently and in order. It, it's sad to say, but the truth is, there is much disorder today in the hearts of God's disciples. You know, the Holy Spirit, there's no doubt about it, you guys, He's moving. You know, if you went to the baptism last Sunday, I mean, you see the Holy Spirit is moving 
all those people who got baptized, all those people you see God working in their life, new people going in with clothes on, fully surrendering their lives to Christ. You know, when you go even to the movies, I, I went to go see that movie War Room. Awesome. What an awesome movie. If you don't go to see it, then I doubt if you're saved. You know, you got to go see that movie. I'm serious. You know, the Holy Spirit is moving, and I don't know for sure, but I'll tell you what, I have an optimistic hope inside of me that there will be a, an awakening, that there will be a revival. And as, as we desire, like Hezekiah, as he gets on the scene, he doesn't waste any time to open the temple doors and to set things in order, as we go through our chapter today, we're going to see this is how it's done. This is how we set things in order. And so what did he do? Notice again there in verse 12, then these Levites, they arose. You know, uh, and, and when you look at the names right here, maybe to you it doesn't mean no big deal because you don't know any of these guys and you can't pronounce it anyways. But what if it was your name? What if, you know, your name was in there, you know? I mean, that would be pretty cool. I tell you what, if you rise up, God will write your name somewhere. If you're just sitting down, kicking back, not doing a whole lot, and then you decide tonight to rise up, God's going to write your name somewhere. God's going to see. God's going to work. God's going to use you. And that's exactly what we see here happen. These, these men, you know, and it's just 14 men, really. That, that's not a lot when you really think about it. You're here and you're thinking, well, that's not a lot. But that's how fires begin, my brother. That's how the fires begin. It begins with a spark. It begins with a spark plug. That's how our engines start. You know, most movements of masses must begin first with God, then usually it's a man, and then men who will move other men, right? You know, what we find right here is Hezekiah, man, he calls them out. It's just so beautiful to see. Look back, if you would, at verse 5. He said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. I mean, Hezekiah is so cool. He's challenging them to stop sitting around and to sanctify themselves, to clean up their lives, so to speak. And then they would be used to clean the temple because their disobedience, he knew this as a nation, had warranted God to have any discipline upon them. Hezekiah knew that and chose to do whatever he could to bring about that victory once again for the people of God. And I'm here to tell you that God is here. God is able to bring victory to you, victory to you and your family, victory to you and your family and this city and the society. God is just waiting for men who would be willing to rise up and sanctify themselves. Here we see that Hezekiah challenged them to rise up, you know, to to get on your feet and fellow servants and soldiers and porters and priests and let's rise up and, and let's, you know, make a difference. You notice again what we read there in verse 12 that the Levites arose and I pray that you would circle that and that you would tattoo it on your heart and that you would do the same. You know, maybe for some of us, we're, we're getting a little lazy, you know, a bit too comfortable and God is just saying, hey, it's time for you to rise up. You know, and I know that can be hard, but I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit is here. God's power is here to help you. 
You know, I love what we read in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as he prayed over them, God gave them power to walk. And of course, that's a physical healing, symbolic of a spiritual reality. We need to rise up and walk. We need to rise up and work, said Hezekiah. And that's what they did. As a matter of fact, in our lesson here, three things stand out. I think we can learn from these Levites in order to, you know, experience this, you know, order that we need to cleanse our own temple, which really applies to us personally and congregationally. You know, I'm just curious. You guys know how it is, your house. I wonder how clean your house is. Have you guys ever heard that saying, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness? Is that the way it works? Something like that. Is that true? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if I went over your house, some of you guys have dirty houses. That's okay. We still love you, right? But, but in your heart, in your life, your, your life, you're the temple. You are the temple of God. Is your temple clean? Not only are you the temple personally, but we're the temple congregationally. And when God looks at Calvary Chapel Almani, does he see a clean temple? These are, th- these are realities. This is not just some you know, spiritual fantasy. This is reality. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.17, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. That's when Paul was speaking to the Corinthian congregation. You're the temple. When you guys get together, God is there, right? Later on in the same book, in chapter 6, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So we have the Holy Spirit living in us as a congregation, congregationally, and we have the Holy Spirit living within us as a person, personally. And so the question is, is it clean? You know, three things to consider. Number one, rise up. Number two, round up. If I could just say it that way, round up. Because look what we read in verse 15. And they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. You see, they rose up and then they rounded up because it says right there in verse 15, and they gathered their brethren. They went out and they got the homeboys. And they said, let's work. God wants to move. And they went out. They started sending text messages. They started making phone calls. They started sending emails. They started approaching people. They started you know, asking the Lord Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Who can I gather up? And sometimes it's Christians that are not serving the Lord anymore and and you already know who they are because God's already laying them on your heart. Other times there are people that you you don't know yet because you haven't been praying about it. And God says, I want you to rise up and I want you to round up brethren to serve in the cleansing of this temple. You know, I think that's so cool when you see the way they gathered their brethren. You know, we begin to round up people, to reach out to people. We invite them because we care for them and we want God to do a good work in them. And I think it's okay to say that we should round up the lost and we should also round up the found. 
You know, do you realize that if we began, this is an, an interesting thing, you know, with 14 people, just 14 people, and if each one of those people, every person, just gathered one person, rounded up one person, just one person a week, you know, the next week you'd have 28, the next week you'd have 56. In 17 weeks, if you just did one person per week, all those people who rounded up and got rounded up, there would be 1.83 million people in 17 weeks. See, that's what would happen if Christians, and I don't want to offend anybody, but a lot of times we're just sitting down. And God wants you to rise up. God wants you to speak up. God wants you to round up. And that's what these guys were doing right here. We need to rise up and round up. And, you know, every once in a while, we got to leave the 99 to seek the one who's lost. When was the last time you did that? And by the way, I don't think Jesus means that we forsake fellowship. But what it means is we go out as well as come in. We got to come in. We got to huddle up. But then we got to go out. And that's what these guys were doing. And we don't simply sit in the sanctuary because we're saved. Because if that's all you do, then you're the frozen chosen. Right? And you guys don't want that. See, we gather the brothers. Who will you invite? Who will you round up? Who will you gather up? Who will you reach out to? And then you ladies as well, the sisters. And together we start, you know, we start cleaning house. It says there in verse 15, they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here like cleaning out of curiosity? So there's a few of you that do. How many of you here don't? I'm just curious how many are asleep. Because <laughs> a lot of you didn't raise your hand, maybe because you're not sure yet. I kind of like cleaning, to be honest with you. I really do. I don't have time to, but I like cleaning. And when I clean, I like to take everything out of the room and then clean it all up and then put it all back. I like to rearrange the furniture, stuff like that, you know, but it's hard to do. But cleaning is very important, right? It's so important. And that's what these guys were doing there in the house of the Lord. You know, no longer the sort of guys just sitting around solo, sinning. No, they were cleaning house. You know, again, when I read this, I couldn't help but think of that passage over in 2 Timothy 2.21, where the Bible says, that if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, then he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. When we were little kids, our parents cleaned, they cleaned us. When we got a little older, we started cleaning ourselves. A lot of times we don't want to take a shower. Remember, and you guys were real dirty right here, and you were real dirty in your elbows and knees and ankles and places I probably don't even want to think about, man. And, and a lot of times, that's the reality of what's going on spiritually. And God is saying, I want you to clean house. You know, we have to cleanse ourselves, 2 Timothy 2.21 says. And, and it's not that we'll ever be worthy to work for the Lord, because we never will, or that we need to be perfect in order to be a priest for God, because that's not the case. But we do need to depart from iniquity. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the Christ, name of Christ, depart from iniquity. So you're like, how do I clean house, Manny? How do you clean house? Depart from iniquity. You see? 
In other words, here's the thing, you guys. We can't be sanctified people if we're okay with sin. If we're seated in sin. If we're settled with sin. We can't. We need to have that heart to depart from sin. You know, you got to ask yourself, are you okay with sin in any way? If so, then you are not sanctified unto the Savior. You see, we need to clean up. And when we clean up, you guys, we need to go deep. That's what you read there in verse 16. And then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron so that it would be carried away. Right? You know, and so now they go, notice it says right here, into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but do you ever like wash your car on the outside and not the inside? You know, are you guys ever clean up? Someone's coming over. Have you guys ever done this and you throw everything in the closet? <laughs> Under the bed? I don't know. Stuff like that. You know, uh, one thing that Christians are really good at is they're really good at putting on a show. They're really good at being able to go to church and fake everybody and they think they can fake God, but they can't. You know, but I'll tell you what, here's the Lord and he's ready to meddle with the middle. He's ready to handle the heart. He's ready to go deep. He's ready to make you real. And that's the only way to be. you got to go into the inner parts. You have to go into the heart. You know, this would be the most holy place. This is where the high priest would meet with God on the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur. This is where forgiveness was found. This is where the blood of the sacrifice was spilt and would wash away all the sins of all the people. And these guys are doing what they need to do so that the service of the house of the Lord would be set in order. And so for us, we also need to go into the inner part of the house. You guys, we need to make sure that we search our hearts. You know, it doesn't do any good, like Jesus said, to draw near with our lips when our hearts are far from him. He said in Matthew 15, 8, These people, they draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. One thing I've learned as a pastor is that you can be busy in ministry and you can preach a thousand sermons. It doesn't mean that you're right with the Lord. And some people mistakenly think that. Why? I serve in the ministry and I do a hundred thousand things. So what? Is your heart right? That's what God looks at. That's where we need to be. You know, what we see here as we ask God to search our heart is that we need to take out the trash. You know, I remember one time coming into the church building right here and and uh, just taking a chair, putting it in the mommy's room and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to faint. It stinks in here. And what had happened was there was three poo-poo diapers that were left there in that mommy's room, man. And who knows how many days they were sitting there. And I tell you what, man, it almost killed me. I'm just joking. <laughs> But you know, that in, in all reality, that's kind of what's happening sometimes in our lives. And God is just saying, I want you to take out the trash, right? I mean, we are called to put off the old man, the Bible says, before we can put on the new man. Some of us, we want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want the person and power of the, the Holy Spirit. But God can't fill you because you're too full of yourself. And God is just saying, it's time 
for you, for me, for us as a congregation, congregationally, personally, to cleanse our house. You know, God, help us to rise up and to round up and to clean up and to work from the inside out. That's what they did. Look at verse 17. And then they began to sanctify on the first day of the month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. That's the foyer. And so they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. And so, if you can visualize, it's almost like they started in the most holy place. They started from the heart, and it says they worked their way out towards the foyer, and then they did that in eight days, and then in eight days after that, they were all done cleansing the temple. You know, and and for me, and I don't know if this is weird or not, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting that there are 14 men, uh, that's two times seven. Seven is the number of completion or perfection. And then you have two eights that are mentioned here. Eight days till they reach the foyer and eight days till they finish. And I tell you what, eight is the number of new beginnings. And I really believe in my heart and I, and I honestly, I think it's the Holy Spirit who's just saying for some of us here that it's time for a new beginning. You know, it really is a new beginning like never before. A new beginning where you really believe and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're here for. We're not here to play church. We're not here to go on midweek service and have fun and say, I did my religious duty. We're here for God to touch my heart. We're here for God to transform our lives. To anoint us with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the reason the Bible says it comes upon you, He comes upon you, is it's from God. It's from above. It's from the Lord. And what these guys are doing right here, eight days and then eight days, it's so cool to see, man, how God began to change the temple. God's love, and I told you guys this a million times, it changes us from the inside out. You know, you don't want to start from the outside in. That's legalism. You don't want to start from the outside in. That's like the fear of God. Although that has its place, I think it's primarily the love of God that will change us from the inside out. You know, as you look at this, I, I want to encourage you guys to know that God wants us. God wants you. God wants your marriage. God wants your relationships. God wants your singleness. God wants you to have a new beginning. I love them. I love new beginnings. They have their challenges, right? Because things get shuffled around. But one thing about God is that he's never stale. He's always fresh, doing new things, and in His grace, granting new beginnings. You know, maybe you're here today and you've blown it. Maybe you're here today and, you know, things have not been good. You've been doing this, that, and the other, and the the devil's trying to beat you up with that. Don't let him. We're here, and God is here to forgive you and to wash it away and to throw it into the deepest part of the ocean, and He will remember your sins no more. You know, the devil will come and remind you all the time, but God has forgotten them. He's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. It's a new beginning for us. We have to buy into that. We have to believe that. We have to stand on that because God wants to do a new work. I love that passage. It's in our bulletin on the front. Isaiah forty-three nineteen. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? God says, I will even make a road in the wilderness and springs in the desert. 
I mean, rivers of water gushing forth in the middle of nowhere. That's the Lord, and that's the promise of the Lord. You see, they were able to cleanse the temple in 16 days. It's the beginning of something new. And then they went in and they told their leader. In verse 17, it says, They began to sanctify on the first day of the month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord, and so they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month they finished And then they went into King Hezekiah and they said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings with all its articles, and the tables of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. And so it's just so cool. You know, cleaning the temple, new beginning. I mean, things that needed to go. It could be certain ambitions, relations, possessions. I don't know what they are, but they're out of there. The things that belong, they're there. You're right. You're still in the preparation process. You're still just getting ready to receive the blessings of God. And so what happens next? You read, it says in verse 20, and then Hezekiah rose early. Now, just just in case you guys wanted to, didn't know this, to rise early in the Bible means you're excited, okay? Some of you, I know you're early risers. You do it by nature, but when you read it in the Bible, it means they're excited. You know how some of you, when you go fishing, you rise early? Because you're excited, right? Hezekiah is excited about this. This is so cool. He rises early, it says. And he gathers the rulers of the city, and he went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. And so they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. And then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, Notice, and they laid their hands on them. And what that did was it transferred the sins to these animals. And then the priests killed them and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. And so what do you see here, you guys, you Bible scholars, as you're reading through that section right there? What do you see? You see sacrifices, huh? You see sin offerings. You see blood. Blood everywhere. Animals dying everywhere. Seven, seven, seven. It's an amazing thing. What do you see? You see Jesus. You see, we're just getting ready for this. We're cleaning house because we want Jesus. And reforms won't make our heart right. Jesus will. And that's exactly what we see happening right here, the sacrifice of our Savior. The sin offering, it says, it's interesting for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. It says in verse 21, even for all Israel. Now, if you remember, at this time, the kingdom had been divided, and Israel, really the northern kingdom, had been taken away captive to Assyria. So this is pretty amazing that he's offering sacrifices for all Israel, right? 
And what we find right here is Hezekiah, as he's offering sacrifices for Judah, and he's offering sacrifices for the sanctuary, and he's offering sacrifices for the kingdom and for Israel, you want to know what he's doing? He's thinking big. He's thinking big, and he's thinking obedient. And we need to do the same. You guys, you need to think beyond those little borders that you've already placed your life in or your family and your church in because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we would ever begin to think or imagine. It's like William Carey said. He said, expect great things from God and therefore attempt great things for God. And so here's Hezekiah. He says, I'm not, I'm not content with Judah. I want this whole nation for the Lord. Why? Because God is able to do that. You guys, we have to have that faith. And we have to know that when we get things and setting them in order, there has to be this blood. There has to be this sacrifice. All these animals, you guys, they point to Jesus. And you read in Hebrews 9, verse 22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You see, all these sacrifices, they point to Jesus. And you guys, here's the thing. We won't go anywhere until we go to Jesus. But once we go to Jesus, we can go anywhere with his grace and his strength in our life. You know, all these animals, they pointed to Jesus. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, it says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You see, first of all, sacrifice, and then secondly, songs. Look at verse 25. Hezekiah is so cool. He's just setting it all up. He knows what to do. It says, and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. And then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And so they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. You know, I'm, I'm in the same place you guys are. You know, I want God to clean house. I want God to clean my life personally. And I want God to clean us congregationally. And I want God to set things in order so that we can restore temple worship. And my hope is that it will be all Israel, that it will be all our country, and anywhere else God will call us to go. How is this going to happen? Well, we've got to rise up. We've got to round up. And we have to make sure that we clean up house. How is this going to happen? Well, we see the sacrifice, and then we see the songs. Do you sing? Do you sing? 
when, when we were singing right now, were you singing? You know what? If you're not singing songs to the Lord, then I question whether or not you know the Lord. You know, David knew the importance of this. And I know sometimes, you know, I'll be honest with you, and the Lord has helped me through this, man. You're, you're listening to worship songs or whatever. And, you know, and the enemy can come in in, in, his, in his ways to distract us and say, oh, it's got too much treble or whatever. You know, I don't know about that, you know, guitar riff. You know what? Don't even worry about that. You've you got to come here. You've got to worship God. You have to be determined to worship, to sing songs. To God, this is vital. This is why Hezekiah commanded it. This is why Chuck Smith, when he, when the Lord did a work through Calvary Chapel, this is why worship was so important. That's why God did a work, and that's why God did work here. The sacrifice of Jesus leads us to singing songs. There's power in worship. I tell you what, next time you come to worship service, I don't care how bad it, even if I'm singing, man, I encourage you, sing to the Lord. You close your eyes. We, you know, we got the words up here just for you to memorize them. And once we sing it a few times, prayerfully, you memorize them. You don't have to be open your eyes seeing all this and that. You close your eyes and you worship the Lord. You know, they knew how important singing songs were. You know, we sing. And if we sing melodies from the heart in love with the Lord, then it's an expression of worship. You know, I know that you guys are going through hard times. And I hear some people say, well, it's hard for me to sing. I'm struggling. I'm going through difficulties. I just don't understand my circumstances, whatever they might be. Well, remember, man, when, you know, the bird, he doesn't sing because he understands. The bird sings every day because he has a song. And we do too. Why? Because we're saved. That's why we sing. You know, we need to keep that in mind because, you know, we have a Savior. It's not simply songs from our mouths reaching the ears of men. It's worship from the heart reaching the heart of God. That's what we're doing, man. We see in this passage right here in verse 28, notice it says, So all the assembly worshipped. In verse 29, it says, The king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. We see in verse 30, it says that these guys, Hezekiah, the leaders, the commander of the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the servants. So they sang praises with gladness. They bowed their heads and worshipped. And that's what we're called to do. You know, the Hebrew word right there, it means to prostrate oneself. You know, and I want to encourage you guys to do that. I like to worship I wake up in the morning, I go and I get on my face. I like to worship even while I'm working out. I'll listen to songs and I'll sing. Hopefully no one hears, but I worship God. We need to have that heart, not just in song, but of course in our life. You know, six times in this chapter we read about the burnt offering, symbolic of laying it all down. And what we see in wanting a clean house, number one, there has to be a sacrifice. Number two, there has to be songs. And then number three, there has to be surrender. There has to be surrender. There has to be absolute surrender. Look at verse 27 again. Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began. That's why even today, you know, maybe at the end of service, when we're singing that last song, maybe you can come up 
and you can offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You know, that's biblical. That's beautiful. And that's what we need. You know, God can do a great work through a servant who is surrendered. It's the best place to be in the whole world. And it's the only place God will ever be able to fully bless and use a person when they're absolutely surrendered. And one person said this, the measure of God's strength in me is simply the measure of my surrender to him. See, oftentimes those songs are sung and surrender begins and they do so simultaneously. And what you find is that the sin offering is always followed by the burnt offering and then the thank offering. And we'll close with this. It says in verse 31, Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. The thank offering was the offering that you would go and you would give a portion to the priest and then you would go and you would take some of the meat for yourself and your family and what you would do is you would have a big barbecue and you would all grub together. That's cool, huh? You know, and it even says that you're there, they're eating with God and you're eating with your friends. You know what it's a picture of? Fellowship. And that's, again, this is just so cool. This is, this is what we need. You know, the, the sin offering first takes place as Jesus died on the cross. And Lord, thank you that all my sins are forgiven. You see me as perfect, even though I don't see myself that way. I look in the mirror. I experience life day to day. And I see what a wretched, wicked man that I am. But you don't see me that way. You see me covered in the righteousness of your son. I can't believe it. I don't see me that way. My family doesn't see me that way. No one sees me that way, but you do. And so what do you do? Then you respond with the burnt offering that I'm yours, Lord. Such love would draw me to you wholeheartedly. And then from that point on, it's just barbecue time, man. It's, it's fellowship with each other as you're just feeding off of each other, as you're fellowshipping with God. I love what it says right there. Look again in verse 31. Come near. I mean, we can come near to God in times like this. What does the Bible say? James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so it says the assembly brought in sacrifices and not only thank offerings, as many as were of a willing heart, they continued to bring burn offerings and, and the number of the burn offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls and 100 rams and 200 lambs. All these were for a burn offering to the Lord and the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 300 sheep. But the priests, notice, were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. And it's just kind of cool what you're seeing right here is, a, is, a, is an explosion of people that were interested in the Lord and they almost didn't have enough people to serve them. You know, the Levites were there, however, to help the priests who are a little bit, you know, slack, but it's okay. God will show them grace. And what you find is after the fellowship, there's this partnership. 
And I love what the Bible says. You know what? If they're too strong for me, then will you help me? And if they're too strong for you, then I'll help you and we'll be there for each other. That's what the Bible says in First Chronicles 19, 12-13. He said, If the Assyrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. See, and that's the beauty. That's what we see. That's when God is working. These are growing pains, but they're beautiful. It says in verse 35, And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offering and with the drink offering for every burnt offering. And so the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. And that's what he was working towards, huh? Lord, my, my life is, is a disorder. It's chaos. I'm dysfunctional. God, will you help me? And God says, yeah, Mio, I'll help you. It's real simple, man. All you have to do is, uh, is rise up and, and round up and clean up. It's so simple. All you have to do is know the sacrifice and begin to sing the songs and just surrender. It's so, so beautiful. It's so simple. All it is in looking at this is a, is a consecration. It's a sanctification. And then it's a celebration. That's what we read in verse 36 in Hezekiah. And all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. You know, I'll, I'll share this with you, you know, real quick. And the baptism, uh, uh, always excited about a baptism. You know, you go and, you know, there's going to be some good food there because, you know, people from the church, they bring their dishes, right? And, and you know, just something about it, you know, is, is pretty cool. But, you know, um, I, I will share this, that as we're baptizing people and as we're seeing the work of the Lord and as the Holy Spirit just fell on us when I was when we were done baptizing I don't know if I have felt that type of joy in a long time it was beautiful and that's the type of joy that God wants us to have this this rejoicing right here this celebration right here when things are where they need to be when you and I are who we need to be God sets things in order and you're going to find that you will receive the fruit of the spirit of joy. And that's what we need, man. The enemy wants to come and he wants to take that smile off your face. He says, wipe that smile off your face. And God says, no, I'm going to keep a smile on their face. I'm going to put a smile on their heart. Because that's joy. It's way, way better than happiness. You know, my prayer is that we go through this chapter right here. Remember these things. You guys rise up, round up, go get some people. And then clean up. Ask God to show you what needs to go, where the dirty diapers are, okay? And then you, you know, remember that sacrifice of Jesus. We're nowhere without Jesus. And you sing those songs like never before, and you surrender like you've never surrendered. And then you remember that consecration was really an installation of the place we need to be, and that sanctification being set apart to God, and then this celebration. And when that happens, man, you're going to have joy unspeakable joy you know i wonder if anyone here can use a little joy for the journey you know what i encourage you today let jesus give you joy it's got to be him man you know joy is the fruit of the spirit the joy of the lord is our strength the bible says in nehemiah eight ten. and remember this joy is a byproduct of obedience right and that's what we need to be.
Maybe you've heard that acronym, uh, JOY. Have you guys ever heard that? J-O-Y? Jesus, others, yourself. And that's cool. I mean, it's a good one. But I got another one for you. Because every once in a while, you got to have a new beginning, right? What if that O was really a zero? And when you look at joy in a different way, there's another theory on the horizon that the O is a zero because this man said that the true formula for joy is to let nothing, zip, zero, come between you and Jesus. And so there's Jesus, and there ain't nothing, there is zero between you and Jesus. That's joy, my friend. And I remember once some person said, hey, how much you love Jesus? How much you love God? And I love him this much. And you're like, this much? What do you mean this much? That's, yeah, nothing comes between us, man. Why do I love him this much? Because he loved me this much. And he died for you on the cross. I pray you guys, we would know that at the end of the day, that this child of God, that this church of God, that this home, that this heart, it can only ever seriously be set in order when we come to that place to where nothing comes between you and Jesus. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.